Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, well, good morning, church. We're so glad that you're back on here joining us again this Sunday morning. Uh, I want to begin this morning with a quick coronavirus COVID-19 church update. So what we've done is we've created a page on our website, metaviewbaptist.com forward slash COVID update. And we're going to keep this updated as things change. But uh, there's a few things that we've already put on there. And uh, some things have might have, they might have been added since uh, we recorded this. But uh, we want you to know that we're going to begin our phases back into re-entry. And we're going to begin really, really slow. So according to Governor Bill Lee uh, and his executive order number 30, places of worship are strongly encouraged to continue to utilize virtual or online services and gatherings. That means just like what we're doing right now. They want us to continue to do this for a period of time. And so, uh, therefore, we will continue to offer Sunday morning online worship services like this one uh, that we're currently doing. And we're currently waiting also on some further guidelines to be issued by the governor's office of faith-based community initiatives regarding any in-person services. So we know that there's going to be more guidelines coming down the road. We just don't know what those are quite yet, and so we're waiting on those. Another thing that's going to happen is, is number two, our first in-person gatherings will be small and limited to 10 or less individuals. Now, I know this might be difficult at first. It might be odd at first, but we do want to begin moving back into the church and, and really just praying over our, our nation our, our country, our state, our church, and, and just spending some time in corporate gathering of prayer. And so we want to do that in small groups uh, of 10 or less. And so what we're going to do is we're going to open the church up for Wednesday night prayer gatherings in the youth room from 6 to 6.30 and 6.30 to 7. So there'll be two different opportunities to come for worship on both these dates, May 6th and May 13th. Uh, I mean, what better way to re-enter the church than with prayer? So what we want to do is we want to come together. We want to have some worship together. We want to have some guided prayer time, some scripture reading. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to ask you to RSVP for these so we can make sure to set up the room appropriately with social distancing and uh, have everything sanitized and ready for you when you come. So you can RSVP for this on our website, metaviewbaptist.com, prior to your arrival, and it will be under the COVID update page. The third thing is this. We're going to begin to encourage all small groups and Sunday school classes to begin gathering in groups of, again, 10 or less off campus. Uh, for fellowships, picnics, service projects, and discipleship discussions, etc. And we would love for you to do this as soon as possible. Now, we understand that this isn't possible for everyone. This might be difficult for some who, um, you know, don't feel uh, welcome or comfortable doing this. I mean, they might, we don't want you to feel the pressure. And uh, we want to be considerate of those who are high risk uh, or have childcare needs that can't be met. So uh, we want you to begin trying to communicate, trying to gather if possible. Uh, so all small group leaders and Sunday school teachers, uh, they'll also be providing online and virtual meetings or phone calls uh, for discussions and uh, just maybe even a group message that, that you can be involved in. So these are small steps. We want to we be small uh, and safe 
And we want to do it right. So what we want to do is ask for you to pray for us as we continue this process and uh, we continue to ease our way back in to Metaview. So uh, church, we love you. We cannot wait to see your face. Uh, we, we are, we're, we're itching to get back just like you are. And so, uh, be praying for us as we make these steps forward. So this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter four, Mark chapter four. We've been going through the chapter. We're going to kind of pick up where we left off last week. And last week I asked you this question and the question wasn't how close am I to Jesus? Because remember there was people coming from all over. They were getting close to him and getting in his proximity. The question I asked last week was How do you come to Jesus? So ask that question. How do I come to Jesus? Do I come seeking? Do I come looking for truth? And and that was a good question. But this week, we're going to ask another question a step further. How do I receive Jesus? If you're coming to Jesus and Jesus is there, then how are you receiving what he has for you? So just as proximity to Jesus doesn't always attribute to a personal relationship with Jesus, the recognition of Jesus doesn't always equate to the act of receiving Jesus. Now, that's difficult, but let me read that to you again. The recognition of Jesus doesn't always equate to the act of receiving Jesus. And how do we know this? Because the acknowledgement of Jesus isn't the same as accepting Jesus. Now, Jesus tells this story in Matthew chapter 7, which is quite alarming and uh, uncomfortable when you hear it. Uh, And it's in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So read these verses with me. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus is acknowledging the fact that there are many who will say, Lord, Lord. There are many that will come that will have acknowledged and recognized Jesus for who he is. But there's many who will come and be deceived because they never really accepted Jesus as Lord. Oh, they they like to be uh, in proximity. They like to be around him. They like to be, be there, but they didn't necessarily come to him and accept him. So Jesus says, not everyone who has acknowledged him as Lord has accepted him as Lord. So as we jump in this morning to uh, Mark chapter 4, we're going to be starting off in verse 14. And this is a very familiar parable. Many of you have heard this before. You've, you've, uh, you, you might even be able to retell it on your own. And before we read it, and, and Jesus, as he's given this explanation, I want to pray for us and just ask that he would open our eyes to him and open our ears and, and uh, give us ears to hear and also open our hearts to him, that we would not be hard ground, but we would be open to what he has, that we could receive him properly. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we ask, God, that you would open our, our eyes, open our ears, give us ears to hear this morning. Open our hearts to you, that our hearts would be fertile ground, that we would be able to receive your word, and that it would grow up in our lives, and it would produce a fruit. God, we thank you for your presence with us. We ask, God, that uh, your presence with us would not just be that we acknowledge it, but that we accept it. We accept you for who you are and what you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. The word and our receptiveness. Receptiveness. So Mark chapter 4, 14 through 17. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. 
And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Let's keep reading verse 18. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This is the Famous parable of the sower. You know, a parable is simply just a word picture or a short story with a, a deep spiritual meaning. And Jesus loved to use parables when he taught. He would use things that they were very familiar with, and especially in, in this agricultural system that they were in, this was a great story to, t- to tell that would give a spiritual meaning. And so this famous parable has three main components. The sower, Jesus is the sower. Jesus and his disciples, those who share the good news, those who tell others about Jesus, the seed. The seed is the word. It's the word, and the word is Jesus. Look at what John claims in chapter 1, 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So you got a sower who's sowing this word, and the word became flesh. So the word is Jesus. The seed is Jesus. And then there's the third component, the soil. How is Jesus received? Is it just recognized? Is it just acknowledged? Or is it accepted? Is it received? The soil is the heart of man. And so the question remains, how do you receive Jesus. This is the question we're asking this morning. If you are presented with Jesus, then how have you received him? You see, this famous parable is about how people receive Jesus. And here's the alarming truth that Jesus is teaching. You're responsible for your receptiveness. Now, that's difficult because he says this in verse 9, and we didn't read it. Now it came right before the section that we read, but he says this, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, look, if you will, you can listen. Now we all know the difference between hearing something and listening to something, it, it, especially if you have kids, you know the difference because you'll say, hey, did you hear me? And they'll say, yeah, I heard you, but were they really listening? Like the kids were not listening at all. They just heard, you know, kind of like the peanuts, wah, 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 like coming from the other room. Yeah, they heard something, but they didn't really listen. And so Jesus is saying, look, you're responsible for your receptiveness. Are you listening? Are you prepared to receive his word? Are you prepared to receive Jesus? And so he gives these different soils. And the first one is this. The first soil is the hard-hearted unbeliever. And this is, this is sad. This is the sad uh, truth of this, is that there are some that just will not be receptive to Jesus Christ. He says there in verse 15, And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. It lays there for a minute, right? It might even be acknowledged. It might even be recognized. Oh, I see what that is. But there's no receptiveness to it. There's no room for Jesus in their heart or in their life. 
This category of people are just not spiritually open. Uh, they're not interested in spiritual conversations about Jesus. They, they don't want to talk about Jesus. They, they shut the door on you. They shut you out. They're not interested in receiving spiritual truth. Uh, they don't want to hear that what they're doing is wrong because they've made up their way of living and their lifestyle in such a way that Jesus, he, he kind of pushes in on that and says, that's not what I, I'm teaching. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And so they're just simply not receptive. And, and, and honestly, all that you can do for the hard-hearted unbelievers to pray, that God would soften their heart, that there would be some receptivity, that they would, they would receive his word. And so the first soil is the hard-hearted unbeliever. And the second soil is the shallow Christian. Now, why would I call it a Christian, right? Because if, if you read these, you, you, you kind of you don't understand how this person could be a Christian because of what happens at the end of it. But this is the type of person that would call themselves a Christian. And, and the, for the vast majority, people are nominal Christians. Yeah, I'm associated with Jesus. I acknowledge Jesus. I, I even receive Jesus, but you know, my life doesn't really show it anymore. These would be nominal Christians, shallow Christians. And so it says this, and these are the ones sown on rocky ground. And so it wasn't really so much rocky on the top. I mean, it could have been tilled up and looked good, but there's an underlying uh, layer of rock bed that, that was penetrated, that the roots can't penetrate through. So it's a rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. What's interesting is, is if you take the word and you put Jesus there, look at what it says. Look, it says that tribulation or persecution will arise on account of Jesus. Like you can be assured of this. If, if you claim Jesus, if you've received Jesus into your life, there's going to be things in this world, tribulations, persecutions, temptations, and those things are going to push against you and you're going to feel the pressure. All Christians need to be paying attention to our life and our doctrine closely because this is the idea that someone who hears the word and, and believes it with joy, they can lose their enthusiasm and joy. It can be shortly lived. This is the person that they might have prayed a prayer at a young age. They might have been quick to make the decision. But as time went on, they burned out. The second soil, the shallow Christian, this is a person who hears the gospel and receives it with great joy. But when tribulation, temptations, and the persecutions come, they burn out under the pressure. Their joy in Jesus shrivels up and they spiritually die because they have no root. The danger for Christians is having no real root. This is when Christians uh, settle for shallow, nominal Christianity. And that shallow Christianity gets exposed in persecution, tribulation, and temptations. Eventually, the heat will get turned up. And when the heat gets turned up, you, you really see how deep the root goes into Christ in your life. I like how Matt Chandler says this. Matt Chandler says, one of the things that can rob us of following after Jesus Christ is being theologically thin. I mean, this is, this is basically what he's saying. If you're not going deep in your love, knowledge, and intimacy with God, then don't be surprised when you burn out. Now, if you're a Christian and you're listening to me right now, especially if you are in our community faith family, 
If you are disinterested in the deep things of God, if you are disinterested in the deepening, uh, in deepening your time with God and his word, if you are disinterested in the things of God, then the soil of your heart might be thin and you're headed for spiritual burnout. Let me, let me look at you real quick and just say this. If you have reached a point in your Christian life where you are disinterested in the things of God, if you're disinterested in going deep in the things of God, in, in pursuing him with intimacy, if that just isn't interesting to you anymore, then you might be headed towards the realization that you have a shallow ground, that, that God's word hasn't been able to penetrate deep into your life and be a foundation for you. And, and possibly you're headed towards complete disassociation with Jesus as Lord. You, you might be so fine with the temptations that are in your life that you just totally go off the rails and say, well, that, that was my old life. I did that when I was younger. And you might be headed towards disassociation with his church as your family. You might not see it as important anymore. You see, the shallow Christian is a shallow soil that leads to accepted sin. Nominal Christianity does not last long, if it lasts at all. You cannot say you receive Jesus if you live in consistent, accepted disobedience to him. It just doesn't work that way. You can't say that you've received Jesus and live as if he's no part of your life. And this is what we have the fear of. This is why he points out this type of shallow, rocky soil. And then he moves on to the third soil, the distracted disciple. Now, the other one was a shallow Christian, right? Nominal. I call myself a Christian. I would say this one's even a step further. I would call myself a disciple, but I'm distracted. There's things that are in my life right now that have just kind of got me off track. I'm a distracted disciple. 18. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. That's important. The deceitfulness of riches and all these other things that kind of creep in, they create a soil that's unfruitful. This is, again, a warning to disciples, not about rejecting Jesus or having shallow depth of interest, but that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, will creep in and choke out your devotion to God. A, a distracted disciple will eventually become a dispirited disciple. This word dispirited, it simply means you've, you've lost your drive, your hope, and your enthusiasm for the Lord. Because there's so many other things right now that, that, are, that are first. Uh, let me ask you, and I don't want you to ask yourself this question has your drive and the motivation to pursue after Jesus been choked out by the things of this world? Did you once have an enthusiasm for Jesus Christ that's no longer there? Has other things grown up in your life that have superseded your love and devotion to him? Maybe, maybe he's still there somewhere, but he's kind of second tier. He's just not as important as he used to be. This is a warning to the distracted disciple. You see, getting choked out is not the same as getting knocked out. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been punched in the face before and been knocked out. I mean, I saw birds, I saw stars, and I didn't know what had happened. And it was, it was instant. But I don't, I, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this slow 
choking out. And that reminds me of wrestling. You ever watch wrestling? Maybe when you were a kid and you, like, you looked up to these guys like Hulk Hogan and the Giant and uh, maybe Sting or Macho Man Randy Savage or Ric Flair. Woo! Right? I mean, these guys were awesome. I loved watching these guys. And there would be moments when they would be in the wrestling match and one of them would get the other one into choking in a chokehold and you would see them just kind of slowly go limp. But then the crowd would get into it and they would begin to raise their hand up and they would begin to fight back. Well, it's this slow thing. Now, we know that that wrestling was pretty much just a choreographed dance between guys in underwear, but that's okay. So what, what we would do is we would see this slow choking out. And this is exactly what Jesus says. Look, you don't realize it, but slowly things are beginning to grow in your life that are choking out your drive, your love, your enthusiasm, and your hope in the Lord because you've put so much drive enthusiasm, love, and hope in the things of this world. Distracted disciples. Here's what Jesus is saying. You may not even realize it, but slowly the spiritual oxygen you desperately need is being cut off. And before too long, you're going to be distracted from what is most important. Are you there? Have you become distracted? Have you become a distracted disciple? Well, let me tell you, this is how you can tell. You can tell because, number one, you become spiritually distracted. There's all these other things that are going on in your life that have robbed you of keeping your focus on Jesus. So let me ask you, how has your relationship been with Christ over this quarantine? I mean, we were talking earlier today about owning your own faith, and this quarantine has made you have to own your own faith. How has your relationship been with Christ over this quarantine? Have you spent more time with the Lord or less time with the Lord? Have you kept up more with the stock market and your bank account than you have your prayer time and your devotions? I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for these things, but I'm just letting you know that it's a slow choke out. It will choke out your enthusiasm, your hope, and your love for what is most important in your life. Are you a distracted disciple? The second way you can tell is you become spiritually dispirited. Let me ask you this, is your hope and your enthusiasm in the Lord, or have you shifted it to monetary items? Is your hope in the Lord, is your enthusiasm in the Lord, or have you found yourself being more hopeful in the things of this world and more enthused by the things of this world? I mean, you have to ask yourself that simple question. What drives you when you wake up? What drives you in the morning? Is it your relationship with Jesus Or is it what you want to accomplish in the day? Have you placed your hope in finances or in a faithful adherence to God? Do you fight for control over your life, your finances, and future? Or are you living in surrender to God for his direction in these areas? If there's one thing this COVID-19 crisis should have taught all of us, it's that none of us are in control. None of us can put our hope, faith, and enthusiasm in monetary things, in money, in bank accounts. We just can't rely on those things. We have to rely on Jesus Christ and him alone. So have you become distracted? Have you become dispirited? And that leads me to the fourth soil that Jesus talks about, the fruitful and faithful follower. I mean, you had a shallow Christian, a nominal Christian, 
Someone who received it, it was there for a little while and then it quickly went away, it burned out. You had the distracted disciple. I mean, yeah, Jesus is in there somewhere amongst the weeds, but there's so many other things that are fighting for your attention. But then there's the fruitful and faithful follower. It says this in verse 20, but those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. You see, a fruitless Christian is an oxymoron. It, it just can't happen. You can't fake fruit. Now, I, I know I've told this story uh, a dozen times. It's one of my favorite illustrations. It's the story of my mom's fruit bowl that sat on her kitchen table the entire time I grew up as a kid. My mom had this bowl of fruit, and it was a bowl of fake fruit. And sometimes she would mix in some real fruit, but for the most part, it was just fake fruit. It was just there to be looked at. It's supposed to be pretty. But it wasn't enough that it was fake. My mom wanted it to look real. So my mom went and bought real fruit and took the produce stickers off of the real fruit and put the produce stickers on the fake fruit. So when you saw the fake fruit, you would think it was real fruit because there's produce stickers on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's a whole different level of... Uh, of uh, I don't know, trying to fake it. I mean, this is, what, this is what happens. Many believers are like this. They don't want to take the time and effort to make sure their lives and hearts are fertile enough to produce fruit. They just want to take the easy path, buy some religious looking stickers and some religious sayings and slap them on the surface so that they feel good, so that they look good, and so that they can fool others into believing that they are good. That's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to be fruitful and faithful followers of him. And Jesus tells us this in John 15, 5. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit. It's going to happen. If you are fertile soil, you will produce fruit. It's what happens. And this is, this is how you can tell whether or not you are that type of soil. Is there fruit in your life? If we're not producing fruit, the fruit of obedience, the fruit of repentance, and the fruit of the Spirit, that shows that we are not really receiving the Word of God, Jesus Christ, into our hearts. It reveals to us the type of soil that we are. We should be producing much fruit, producing fruit of obedience, where, where it looks like you can see that you're growing in your sanctification more and more and more like him. You're growing in the fruit of repentance where you're saying no to the things that used to be in your life and you're saying yes to Jesus. You're growing in the fruit of the spirit in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You're growing in these things that are reactions, not actions. Those are the things that come out of your life when you react to things. So if you're producing those, it's showing that you are fruitful. You are the good and fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. That's how you've received him. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Look, it is a process. You're being transformed. The fruit that he wants to produce in you is going to multiply some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. It's going to continue to grow and grow and grow. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. Where does fruit come from? It's not by your 
own effort. You can do nothing on your own. It is from the Spirit of God that indwells you. See, the Spirit of God is not just implanted in you, but now he empowers you to produce fruit. You are the soil. The soil is you. The seed, the growth, the life, the production of fruit, it's all done in and through Jesus Christ. Look at what Paul says again in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Be such rich soil that the word of God can be implanted in you, that you can receive him, that he can grow in your life from one degree of glory to the next, producing in you a spiritual fruit that is only possible through the spirit, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So here's my question. Are you letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Are you seeing fruit? Look at what Jesus says in John's gospel, 15, one through five. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Bear much fruit by abiding in Jesus, by receiving Jesus. You want to know whether or not you're the good soil? You're bearing much fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. So how do you bear fruit? How do you allow the Spirit to, to be able to work in your life? Well, I, I'm, not, I'm not really good at science. I, I'm just going to be honest with you, but I think there's two essential elements that need to happen for fruit to be produced, okay? The first one is cross-pollination, and the second one is pruning. If we want to see more and more fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold, then there's got to be some cross-pollination that takes place. That's, that's science, right? If we want to see fruit and seeds being produced, then even as Jesus said, we're going to pr- he wants to prune you so that you can bear more fruit. These two elements have to happen. So the first, cross-pollination. Isn't that a cute little bee there going to the, going to the flower? Cross-pollination. Some of you right now are like, don't even show me a picture of pollen. I mean, people have accused me of COVID-19, but it's, you know, it's my allergies 2020. Like, that's what's going on. But cross-pollination is this, is the transfer of pollen from one part of the plant to another or to another plant, uh, later enabling fertilization and the pro- production of seeds. So this is what happens. This is how uh, seeds multiply. This is how plants grow. There's cross-pollination that takes place. In the Christian life, it's not that we just get saved and then we just sit on the couch, maybe like you're sitting right now, and wait for, wait for something to happen, wait for us to become holy. It just doesn't happen that way. When, when we come to Christ, we are saved. We're called into something. We are called to be part of something to be gathered in a community for a specific purpose, namely a community that, that is following after Jesus for proper growth and production. When, when we are joined together, and again, I cannot wait until we join together. When we join together, there is a sanctification that takes place in the church. 
When, when he talks to his church, he talks in a plural form. We're not all isolated, but his spirit wants to move in and amongst us using the gift that he's given us to help us grow in sanctification. Again, let's look at Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because it's good for the community of faith, teaching and admonishing one another. There's something that has to take place when we want another one another. In all wisdom, let's sing psalms together. Let's sing hymns together. Let's sing spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. There's something that needs to take place for us to produce fruit, and it's this spiritual cross-pollination. This is how important the body of Christ is when it gathers together. There is a cross-pollination of spiritual sanctification that takes place and the wind of the Holy Spirit blows on believers, causing our lives to be more fertile and more absorbent to his word, thus allowing the Spirit an opportunity to produce in us fruit and the seeds of faith that multiply. Maybe you haven't been seeing fruit and growing because you feel isolated and separated from the body of believers. You're not being able to be cross-pollinated. You're not feeling that encouragement, encouraging one another in the Lord. We desperately need that as a church. That's what, that's what makes us the, the, us, the gathering, so important, being around other believers so we can grow in our faith and produce more fruit. Here's the other thing. Jesus mentioned this. There's got to be a pruning. So you got to trim. You got to trim a tree, a shrub, a brush by cutting away the dead or overgrown branches or stems specifically to increase fruitfulness and growth. There's a purpose behind this pruning that needs to take place. And it's often painful. Anytime you cut something out of your life, it's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. It's going to take effort. But for us to produce the fruit that the Spirit wants to produce in us, there's some dead things that need to be gone. There's some sickness that needs to be cut out. It needs to be done away with. Romans says this. Paul says it this way in 6, 12 through 14. Let not sin, therefore reign. Let not sin, therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as an instrument for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace." Here's what Paul says to the Romans. If you've received Christ, then it's time for you to not, to not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. You don't need to be using your body as, as a means for sin. You need to be cutting those things away and using your instruments, the body that God's given you, for fruitfulness, for righteousness' sake. You need to be using your body to glorify him and not participating in the things of this world. You, you need to ask yourself this. Do I need to ask God to do some pruning in my life? Right now, are there sins, are there things in my life that need to be cut away so that I can produce more fruit? I like how D.A. Carson says it. He says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. Listen, you're not just going to magically gravitate towards producing fruit. It's just, it's just not going to happen. You're responsible for how you receive them. You've got to put forth some, 
some grace-driven effort. You've got to say, I need to cut some things out of my life because if I don't cut these things out of my life, then that dead infection is going to, it's going to pull me in, a, in the wrong direction. I'm not going to naturally gravitate towards godliness. I'm not going to naturally gravitate towards prayer. Some of you are going to have to actually set an alarm on your phone and say, you know what? I'm going to put forth some grace-driven effort because I want to spend time with the Lord. You're not going to automatically drift towards being obedient to Scripture. You're probably not even going to drift towards spending time in Scripture. You're going to have to put forth some grace-driven effort. And and those things will come. Faith will come. Fruit will come as you begin to surrender your life to Him and allow him to prune things away so you'll be more fruitful. How can fruit flourish when the rotting of sin is allowed to fester in your life? How, how is it allowed to grow more abundant, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, when you allow things in your life to contaminate it? How can you produce fruit if you're still flirting with sin? You might say, Pastor Jeff, I'm not really acting on it. I just... You know, I'm just kind of getting in the proximity of it. Let me tell you something. If you're thinking about the sin before too long, you're going to start talking about the sin. And if you're talking about the sin before too long, you start acting on the sin. That's how sin works. And you might find yourself somewhere in that progression right now. And if you're flirting with sin, how do you expect to produce fruit? How can you claim to be a healthy follower of Jesus if you have no spiritual fruit bursting forth on your branch? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. Look, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So you can ask yourself, am I bearing fruit? And so this morning, I want to close with giving you an opportunity to pray. As we've done over the last several weeks, I'm going to move you into a prayer prompt. This is the only prayer prompt we have this morning. So I want you to spend a good 30 seconds or more praying. I want you to respond to God's word this morning by by calling out to him. Put forth some grace-driven effort right now in prayer. Pray for God to reveal to you what soil you are. And I imagine you have a good idea based on what Jesus has said and the definitions we've gone off of. Take some time and confess any shallowness that has taken place in your life. Take a moment and confess any distractions that have crept in and begin to choke out your love, devotion, and enthusiasm for God. Maybe, maybe you've been super distracted during the last few weeks. Take some time and ask if there's any areas of your life that are diseased by sin that are keeping you from producing fruit. Will you take a moment? Will you respond and will you pray? Will you ask God to reveal to you? how you can receive him this morning. Let's pray. has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.